Hello and welcome to the Use Because podcast. Deeper learning from the best business minds to have ever put pen to paper. In Never Split the Difference, the author who is a former FBI hostage negotiator, Chris Voss, he tells a story of a hostage negotiation class that's been taught with 35 experienced law enforcement officers. And they're asked a very simple question. How many had dealt with a classic bargaining situation where problem solving was the best technique? And out of 35 people, zero people put their hands up. But then they asked a complimentary question. How many students had negotiated in an incident where a dynamic, intense, uncertain environment where the hostage taker was in emotional crisis and had no clear demands? And pretty much every hand went up. And that's what's interesting about this book, Never Split the Difference, compared to another book we've done on this podcast, Getting to Yes. In Getting to Yes, they talk about separating the position from the interests. And in this book, Never Split the Difference, their whole point is that there can't be a separation because the person isn't rational. If you read a book by Dan Ariely called uh, Predictably Irrational, it's about how people are just not rational. We all think we are, and I've said this before in other podcasts, that we, we buy things emotionally and then we justify it with logic afterwards for a lot of things. Not everything, but a lot of things, that's how we go. Those kind of impulse purchases that we make. We buy things emotionally, irrationally, and then we kind of layer on some rationality or some logic afterwards. And this is what they're talking about in this book compared to getting to yes. So in, in Never Split the Difference, what they're talking about is that a lot of the time when it comes to negotiation, the other person's emotions is the problem. And in getting to yes, they say that you have to separate the emotions, you have to separate the position somebody has taken up with their actual interests. And what they're saying in this book is that they don't actually, they can't be separated because it's all jumbled in together because we're irrational people. And to quote directly from the book here, it says, it was clear, if emotionally driven incidents, not rational bargaining interactions, constituted the bulk of what most police negotiators had to deal with, then our negotiating skills had to laser focus on the animal, emotional, and irrational. Now, obviously, the people listening to this podcast, I assume you're not going into hostage negotiations where you have to try and save somebody's life with your words. But this is the point of this book, is that they say that these tactics that he's built up over the years in these high-pressure situations, they're completely transferable. Now, he does talk a lot about getting to yes in this book, and he says there are, of course, things to take away from it. But the fundamental, the, the bedrock, if you like, of getting to yes is that there's an assumption that people are rational, that people have are in total control of their emotions throughout the entire negotiation, that nothing ever strays from just that emotional flatline whereas in this book he's saying emotions is like the that's what makes up the whole negotiation and the way i think about it if anyone has ever studied nlp or neuro-linguistic programming one of the presuppositions they have is that the map is not the territory so that's what i that's how i kind of compare these two books and it's actually it's definitely worth going back and listening to getting to yes the podcast that we did uh, on that book 
because to me it's it's two it's the two sides of that presupposition let me just explain what that is in nlp so in nlp they have these presuppositions these kind of rules to live by or or, or ways to interpret the world if you like one of them is that the, the, the map is not the territory another one is that um everybody is doing the best that they can with the information that they have Right, and it's it's a great way to interpret the world when people are. If your boss is getting really annoyed at you, or there's somebody on your team who who you're the boss of is not, uh, you know, performing to their to what you think is their best of their abilities. If you have that idea or that filter in your head that everybody is doing the best that they can with the information that they have, it, everyone just is trying to get to inner peace. And some for some people, it's completely. Uh, disengaging from the work environment for other people it's shouting and roaring for other people it's being mean everyone is just trying to get to inner peace everyone wants to get to some version of significance everybody wants to be important everyone wants to be seen as you know the, the alpha of the group or whatever people have different ways of getting there that's one of the one of the nlp presuppositions but the one i'm thinking about for this particular book paired with the other one the, the get to getting to yes is that the map is not the territory. So what that means is that if you're going to go and climb a mountain, let's say you're going to go up Mount Everest, I assume at some stage you'll look at a map, right, to find out where Mount Everest is, how to get there, uh, where the, the route is going to be to get up that mountain, um, where it's going to be steep, where it's going to be not so steep, and that's the map. But the territory is different. The map is like two dimensions, which it literally is, and the territory is three dimensions if not more right including time in there as well you can talk about four dimensions if you like but the map is not the territory the map will tell you certain things about what the what's what it's going to be like to climb that mountain but it won't tell you what the weather's going to be like on that particular day or how your emotions are going to be when you're climbing that mountain the map is not the territory another great way to to think about that in in the real world in the real working world is like project management you can have all the gantt charts that you like about when well, Dave is going to finish this particular section by next Tuesday. He's going to hand it over to Mary. Mary's going to, you know, do her bit for the next week and a half. And, and, and the project gets to a conclusion. That's the map. The territory is completely different. Dave maybe is out sick. Maybe has an earache. Maybe Mary is thinking about getting a new job and she is not fully engaged in what she's doing. Or That's the territory. And that's how I consider these two books. That getting to yes is like the map. And this one, never split the difference. It's like the territory. Because in the book he talks about when he first started in into negotiation, he kind of just learnt on the job, kind of like thrown into the deep end kind of thing and, and had to figure it out. But one of the things he talks about a lot in this book, and I don't know, I, I guess they kind of miss it a little bit in getting to yes, is he talks about the emotions that you, ha you have to have uh, what he calls tactical empathy. And what that really means is to is to really see something from the other person's point of view is to really engage what they're probably assessing the situation to be and it's only when when you look at the other person's point of view and you see it from the other person's point of view you can understand what their possible motivations might be and that's a huge thing in this in this entire book is emotional intelligence and it's something i've said i, I probably mention it in every single uh, podcast that i do but emotional intelligence is is key it's it's a it's a main thing for for any type of success in in your personal or your business life is to understand your own emotions and understand the emotions of the people that you're interacting with the, the emotions are essentially the software that make us do what we do 
that motivate us, that inspire us. And by the way, to motivate us, things motivating doesn't necessarily mean to do things fantastically well all the time. You can be motivated to do your job half-arsed. And that's worth keeping in mind as well, that the software that runs our motivations is our emotions. So according to the author, what he says in the book, there's, there's essentially five, five things that a negotiator needs to be able to do. The first thing is to calm people down. Now, of course, he's using people like he's literally been in situations where um, there's a bank is in the process of being robbed and there's hostages inside and it's his job to, to get the people back out safely. Um, and this is why this is actually the reason that he calls the book Never Split the Difference. He said that in a negotiation, you can't split the difference. If there's two hostages in a bank, he can't split the difference with a uh, with a with the with the bank robber and say well okay you give me one and you keep one and we'll, we'll we'll call it quits clearly it doesn't work and that kind of thing and he says that splitting the difference never works in any negotiation but anyway the five things he says that he needs people to do or, or needs a negotiator to do if he's teaching people about negotiation the first thing calm people down it's to and I'm, I'm kind of jumping all over the place here a bit but he, he's, he talks about allowing people to say no a lot of the time in sales, you're uh, you're looking to get people up that yes ladder. The more somebody says yes, the more agreeable they're going to be, and the more likely they are to, to you know part of their money and, and or their time or whatever it is that you're trying to get them to do, get them to say yes lots of times, and then they'll uh, they'll do what you want them to do. He says in this book that's actually not what you want to do. You want to get people to say no, because once they say no. It's almost like they can relax then. I've, well, you, you understand my point now. You understand that I'm not going to buy that. You understand why I'm, I'm not going to move from the position I'm in. And it's from there that you start to uh, use that tactical empathy to, to get in behind that. No, well, tell me more about that. You know, what is it about that the, the, the price that you don't like? What is it about the, the suggestion I've made that is, isn't of use to you? And it's using that tactical empathy to get in behind their no to find out why it's a no. A lot of the time, anyone who knows anything about sales, when somebody says no and somebody gives you an objection, generally it's because, you know, they don't see the value in what you're offering. They don't um, they don't understand what you're offering. Um, you've approached it all wrong. You're being too aggressive and the, sh the, the, the shields just come up and that's it. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm not, I'm not buying from it. I don't trust you. That kind of thing. So his his point in this book is the first thing you need to do is to is to calm people down, and when you go into a negotiation, one of the things that you'll need to be able to do is to calm people down. A good way of doing that is by allowing them to say no. Is to is to almost preempt their rejections or preempt their um, the things that they're going to object to before they can actually get them out and kind of lay it all out on the table. Well, you're you're probably not going to be. Uh, the price might be an issue for it. Whatever the thing is, right? Whatever, whatever the the objection is likely to be, it's almost like to get that out on the table. Because even if they say yes all the way to uh, to the end of the negotiation, it, when they go off then and think about it, it's really it's really a no, right? So that you need to get them to say no to begin with. Get get talk about the elephant in the room, basically. Second thing you need to do is to establish rapport. So these are the five things. Number one, calm people down. Number two, establish rapport. Rapport just means to be able to, to to fall into a rhythm with somebody else. It's it's something again they talk about a lot in NLP and neuro linguistic programming. 
is to build rapport, is to be able to fall into step with somebody. And you'll find it yourself that when you are um, friends with somebody, when you've, you're meeting up for a pint or going for coffee or lunch, you'll find that you, you nod along at the same time. You will um you'll take a drink at the same time you'll talk at the same speed you'll reflect each other's phrases back to each other and if it's you know somebody that you're deeply connected with you'll generally finish each other's sentences or you know what they're thinking before they even say it that's what rapport is and one of the ways to build rapport and he talks about this later on in the book is through mirror mirror i can't say this word mirroring mirroring uh, to mirror somebody means and the way I always think about it is to mirror somebody at a distance. So let's say, for example, you're on a date, right? And you want the other person to like you. Obviously, you want to put your best version of yourself forward. You'd like them to be comfortable around you. One of the things you can do is to mirror them, right? Is to sit in a similar position to them. It's to uh, talk at the same speed as them. It's to, when they take a sip of their drink, you take a sip of your drink. Now, if you do it in a weird way, right? If you're if you're like... Uh, hyper aware of every single thing that they're doing uh it just becomes really off-putting and weird but if you if you naturally allow yourself to fall into the the same speech patterns the same um uh, tone of voice the same speed right all of those things volume pitch all those things to do with sound if you allow all those things to happen naturally people are going to warm to you and then if you start reflecting their phrases back to them um and you'll you'll find yourself uh, falling into rapport a lot easier. It takes practice. Third thing then you need to do is to gain trust. One of the best ways to gain trust uh, in all walks of life is to is to do what you say you're going to do when you said you're going to do it. And that goes for leadership. It goes for negotiation. It goes for sales. All of it. If you if you want to, somebody to trust you, that's what trust is. I trust you that you're going to do this thing that you said you'd do when you said you'd do it. Another uh, podcast we did was on uh, Legacy by James Kerr. And it's about the All Blacks. And it's about how uh, they built this culture of winning through trusting each other and through uh, a, very, a very profound leadership style where they... Uh, took responsibility for themselves they were self-contained if you like they 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 talk at the beginning of the of the book about sweeping the sheds right that the, the sheds of the changing rooms that after a big match they'd have their their warm down they talked to all the press you know to get all the pictures taken everybody leaves except the team and the core coaching staff and they debrief about the game what went right what went wrong everyone says um says their piece and after that then the most senior players clean the dressing room and that's what builds trust in the rest of the team then to show that you're, a leader is never too big to do the small things, basically. Humility is is, uh, is a key part of what they talk about in that book. But getting back to this book, Never splitting, never Split the Difference, the way you gain trust is through is through doing what you say you'll do when, you'll say, when you said you'd do it. The fourth thing then, and this is again, it ties into the the emotional stuff that, they're, that they talk about throughout this book is kind of like a common thread through this book is to ver- is verbalization of needs say for example if it's again a hostage situation <laughs> you find yourself in um i feel sorry for you if that's that's why you're listening to this podcast if you're um looking at a bank and there's hostages in there it's your job to get them out i would suggest um maybe talk to an expert not me but um 
the verbalization of needs, right? Let's say it was a hostage situation and the, the hostage taker says that they need a helicopter on the roof in an hour, an hour from now. Like that's a fairly straightforward demand. Okay, I need to get a helicopter on that roof or I need to talk about getting, pretend there's going to be a helicopter on the roof or whatever. But really what he's talking about in this book is getting in behind that and understanding, well, why an hour? What's going to happen in 60 minutes from now? Like, why do you, is there somewhere you, you specifically that you need to be in order to uh, to have the helicopter there or where did that one hour uh, deadline come from? He talks in this book as well about uh, deadlines can sometimes make you rush to a decision. So a key thing to do is to slow down when it comes to negotiation is to make sure that you're, uh, of course, deadlines have to exist, right? No work would get done unless there was some sort of deadline to, for to to be met by. But he says that you need to slow everything down, right? Don't be in any rush because, in as much as possible, because when there's deadlines put in place, it's it's more likely to to force somebody to make a a, a rash decision that they might regret later. So let's say that's the that's the situation. You are looking at a bank, and the hostage taker is. Uh, telling you that he wants a helicopter on the roof 60 minutes from now the, the verbalization of the needs well how am i supposed to get a helicopter on the roof what what is it about 60 minutes that you know is the deadline why a helicopter why not a uh, a fast car like where can you fly a helicopter do you need a pilot with that it's getting to the verbalization of the needs and getting in behind the emotions of of how people are making these decisions and the last thing then he says in this particular section is to persuade the other guy of our empathy is to persuade the other person that you really do empathize with them and empathize is different than sympathize sympathize means you feel sorry for them and you know i wish i could do something to help you all empathize means is that you feel empathy is that i understand your point of view i don't necessarily agree with it i don't necessarily think you're a good person if it's the hostage thing again but I understand it. I understand that you must feel very nervous that we're going to shoot you or that we're going to burst in through the door or whatever it is. Same thing in a, in a negotiation with a, uh, if you're looking to, if your company's going to acquire a smaller company or something like that, you want to show the the, the smaller side, the, the, the David versus the Goliath side. You want to show the David side that, you know, we get it. Uh, we're a massive company. We're looking to acquire you. You're probably nervous that we're going to try and squeeze you for everything that we can. And that's one way of kind of getting the elephant out. Uh, you're talking about the elephant in the room or kind of um, getting in behind the verbalization of the needs and also ensuring that the other side or persuading the other side that you are empathizing with them. I, I understand it from your point of view. In getting to yes, they talk about there being not me versus you. It's me and you together versus the problem. So I think they say something like having, it's like having two Supreme Court judges deciding on, on what the outcome of this particular case should be. And sometimes they call it a steel man argument. A steel man argument is where you, you argue each other's side. So if I'm negotiating with you, if you're my boss and I want a pay rise, I should argue as to why you shouldn't give me a pay rise but you should argue as to why I should give you a pay. You should give me a pay rise. Uh, so the steelman argument is where you swap sides, and and that's how you can build empathy and trust as well. Is that look, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. But this is how I see it from your point of view, and you tell me how how you know vice versa how you see it from the other side. It's a, it's a steelman argument, and that that's a good way to to build empathy as well. Now a key thing going into any negotiation is preparation, 
right? You can have all the empathy in the world, you can have all the emotional intelligence in the world, but if you haven't prepared, if you don't know what uh, what they're likely to be, what what their likely sticking points are going to be, or if you don't know what they're likely to um, to come up against you with, then you're going to be caught, you know, on on the hop more often than not. So preparation is is hugely important. But one of the things he talks about as well is being able to listen. Now, and he says that a lot of the time people think listening is just not talking, right? But if I'm not talking, then I'm by default listening. And active listening is something completely different than just waiting for you to stop talking so I can start talking again. Active listening, and he says that what he would do in, in hostage negotiations is he'd have a team of people, at least five people, listening to a call. So if he's calling into the the bank, for example, he gives an example of, of a bank if he's calling into a bank and uh, he's going to talk to the to the to the bad guy in there he'll have at least five of his team listening and all of them are listening for 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 verbal clues and ticks in uh, that the the hostage taker might have or uh, they're listening for key phrases or little things that might give things away so that while I'm having the conversation with the bad guy, all of you are listening to, you know, what's being said and what's not being said and how did he say it. And that's what active listening really is. But he also says that you shouldn't have, you should have multiple hypotheses in your head at all times. So, and this is like, I mean, this goes for, for leadership, for communication, for persuasion, for sales, uh, for lots of different things to do with your personal life and to do with um, your, your professional life as well is to have lots of hypotheses in your head as to what could possibly be happening in the other person's head uh, and what you do then is you you allow the information that's coming towards you to almost filter those hypotheses down to tighten them all up until you end up with what is definitely happening and even at that point you know who knows if it's right or not, it's probably more likely than not to be right. But this is how cold reading happens with psychics, right? They they ask lots of general questions and um, they, they're looking for, for your answers to see where do your answers lead them to, right? And they just kind of, it's almost like a, a pinball machine. They kind of just keep bouncing, bouncing, bouncing until they get down, 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 filter, 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 until they end up with a hypothesis that is most likely going to be correct. And anyone who's in sales, anyone who is, is good at sales, I should say, they always have what they call in this book a mindset of discovery. Is that if you go into a sale thinking, yeah, I've done this, I've, I've, I've sold this product to, you know, a thousand people over the last few years and I know exactly what you're going to say, I know exactly what you're going to, uh, what your objections are going to be. I have my script, I'm going to just barrel through the script, I'm going to get you to say yes lots of times and you're just going to buy it. If you have a mindset of discovery instead of just assuming what the other person is going to say or what the other person is going to do, you become, it's much easier to build rapport to begin with, but you also become genuinely interested in solving that person's problem. And that's what the best salespeople are doing. The best salespeople are not trying to separate an individual from their money or from their time or from their effort. They're trying to provide a solution. And that's why asking open-ended questions, having, like they say in this book, even though this book is about negotiating, it's the same thing with sales. It's, it's having that mindset of discovery going, well, what are you interested in and, and how, uh, how might this particular thing solve your, your particular problem? So a mindset of discovery is hugely, hugely important. So when it comes to 
uh, really listening or actively listening or, or listening really well is what he says here in the book. The, the problem is that we're all easily distracted, right? If you're in a conversation with, with somebody, a lot of the time there's a voice in your head telling you what to say next or I just thought of something there, I'm going to say this. As soon as he stops talking, I'm going to say this. So you can get easily distracted by your own head. And then you have selective listening or you have what's called cognitive bias where, you know, if you've ever, if I just thought of something, I'm going to tell you the story. This is horrendously embarrassing, but let's explain what cognitive biases is. Cognitive bias is when you are, um, you've decided something is true. And even as evidence is presented to you, you make it fit the narrative that you already have in your head, right? So um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a horrendous example. This is from when I was maybe... I don't know, 21 or something maybe, sitting in a pub with a friend in uh, in Dublin and I saw another one of my friends out the window, right? It was, it, like um, we were at the, the pub was on, as a crossroads and they were like diagonally across the crossroads. So I could see out the window and I could see my friend with their son um, crossing the road. So oh, there's, you know, I won't, won't mention the friend's name, but there's my friend. I'm just going to run out and say hello. And so I kind of jumped up out of my seat and kind of went towards the door. So the friend was crossing uh, to, the, to the other side of the street, and I I ran across the road and kind of you know just glancing left and right for traffic and uh, like right towards my friend, and I was about maybe two feet away when I realised that's not my friend. It's not even close to being my friend. It's a complete stranger, and it's not a son. It's a daughter in a pink dress, and I basically got to got to the far side of the road. This guy saw me running towards him going, what's this guy up to? And I just kind of was jogging lightly and I put my hand onto the the, the, to the traffic pole, kind of just gently swung around it and ran right back across the road. <laughs> and the whole time my friend, my other friend was in the, my actual friend was in the pub saying, um, you know, I knew that wasn't him. From the second you got up, I thought you were joking and I watched, <laughs> she had to watch the entire thing play out. Horrendous, right? So it's just, and that's what cognitive bias is. As I was running across the road, I I just wasn't taking in any new information. I had already decided it was my friend, and um, it was just. It's still. I'm going red now, just thinking about it. <laughs> sitting here thinking about. It. Anyway, that that's what cognitive bias is. Um, it's deciding that something is true no matter what evidence is presented to you and that can happen when we're listening to people we think they have a particular objection about what we're selling or a particular objection about something in a negotiation and uh, everything that they're saying just reinforces what we already think so actively listening is, is a very very difficult skill to have so i'm going to finish with them um, well, I mean, there's, there's so much stuff in this book that that I could that I could talk about, and I I, I think it's um. I think this combined with getting to yes, you'd be well on your way to understanding negotiation or you know what exactly is involved in a negotiation. Um, so never split the difference and getting to yes. I think they're probably, like I said, one is the map, the other is the territory, and between the two of them. It's um it'll give you a great insight into into negotiation. So one of the things that uh, he talks about in this book is labeling, right? Now I, I again I would say I've probably talked about this before in other podcasts, but labeling means to to label somebody in a way that is uh, that reflects their emotions, right? Or or 
or reflects how they see themselves or how they aspire to see themselves like there's a few different ways to label people say i'll give you an example that's nothing to do with negotiation but is useful as a, as a persuasion technique and I've, I think I've definitely said this before in a, in, in a podcast, but in case you haven't heard it, I'll, I'll say it again. Let's imagine you need um, a particular problem solved that, you know, a software issue or, um, you know, whatever, whatever the problem is, some, some problem you have in work. And there's somebody who's not part of your team who you think will be pretty good at solving that problem, but they're, you know, up to their eyes doing their own work and, you know, what's in it for them, that kind of thing. One way to approach that person would be to say something like, um, you know, I know, I know you're busy. Um, I know this isn't really your area of expertise. And I know you're under no obligation to do it. But is there any chance you could do me a favor and um, have a look at this particular problem um, and try and solve it for me? What you've done there is you've given that person a way out, right? You said it's not their job. They're already really busy. Um, they're under no obligation to do it. Yeah, and they, and they kind of come up with a polite excuse. Yeah, listen, I'm not, not really going to be able to do that. That's one way to label the person. A more persuasive way to label a person is to say something like, I heard you're a really good problem solver. Uh, I, I, I believe you actually enjoy solving problems. Is that is that a fair thing? Now already you've labeled them in a way that who who doesn't want to consider themselves to, ha- to be a good problem solver? It's like on... Um, you know, on dating profiles, people say, you know, a uh, good sense of humor or the person they want to date must have a good sense of humor. Like, who's going to say, well, that's not me, then I don't have a good sense. Everyone thinks they have a good sense of humor, right? So when you label people positively uh, to how they see themselves or how they aspire to see themselves or in a way that's just a compliment, you're more likely to be able to get the person to go along with you and it's something that he talks about in this book never split the difference is labeling people but not necessarily labeling people labeling their emotions so is to put a name on the emotion it's actually something that you do when you're raising kids as well a lot of the time I, another random example my, my daughter was um she's gone swimming when she, she was maybe three or four 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 probably she was and she's in the back of the car and she knew she was getting a different teacher this particular week and she said, uh, Dad, I feel a bit a bit sad about going swimming. And I asked her a few questions. And I said, actually, okay, so you, it's not actually sad you feel. It's nervous because you've got a new teacher. So I said, and she, she kind of went quiet. And, and I knew by that she, she didn't like the emotion to think that like that knot or whatever butterflies she's feeling in her stomach. But I knew it wasn't sadness. She just didn't have the word for it. So I was able to give her the word and say, you felt you're you're probably feeling nervous and that means you know you're not you're not too sure what's going to happen and i kind of you know tried to explain what nervous means because yeah that's i think that's i think i feel nervous and we were able to talk about it a bit more then same thing really when it comes to to this kind of negotiation is to give labels to what people are feeling is to, is to take something that's uh intangible like sometimes the emotions isn't just one clear-cut emotion it could be a range of emotions, a range of different things kind of all mixed in together, all baked in together, is to be able to give that emotion a name or to give it a phrase or to just even reflect back that I can I can tell you're pretty angry about this particular thing. And it's a great thing that works actually in customer service as well. It's a, if, if you're ever training anybody up in customer service, if you and most people are not going to be calling customer service or emailing customer service because they think you're great. They're calling or they're emailing because they have a problem. And sometimes those people can be very, very irate. One of the first things a customer service person should do, or customer success people is what they call them these days, is to is to reflect back that I can tell you're you're very angry and I can understand why you're that angry because it's a very frustrating problem to have. 
but my name's Kevin and I'm going to try and together me and you we're going to solve this problem right we're going to we're going to figure this out together so labeling things is, is hugely important when it comes to negotiation as well as the other side might not necessarily know what it is but like I said if it's a David and Goliath thing where your company is acquiring a smaller company the smaller company might feel like they're going to get crushed they're going to get squashed and they're going to get squeezed um, for every penny and just acknowledging that sometimes can be a huge a huge weight off their shoulders and you're kind of you know you're you're labeling the emotion and um you're showing empathy as well so um so that's it so this book is called uh, never split the difference by a guy called chris voss it's v-o-s-s and um it's it's a brilliant book i really recommend it if you're if you're interested in in negotiation if you're interested in um in figuring out how how i guess i guess how how important emotional intelligence is for every aspect of your personal and your professional life you could do worse than reading this book um um it says negotiating as if your life depended on it so um if you ever find yourself in in having to uh, secure a hostage release this could be the book for you so um have a read of it um one thing i want to tell you is about usebecause.com the courses are now live and they are still five euros we, we we may be sticking with that price for the for the next while we're going to see how it goes it seems to be going pretty well at the moment it's five euros a course there's two courses up there again it depends when you're listening to this but there could be a thousand courses up there by the time you're listening to this uh, right now today on the 6th of february 2020 there is two courses up there one is the seven habits of highly effective people so we want to show you how to uh, understand memorize and deliberately practice those seven habits um of of highly effective people and the other one then is influence the psychology of persuasion and those two books are by far the biggest sellers on amazon and that's why we went with those two first they are um you you read you do those two courses and you will have improved your both your professional and personal life by orders of magnitude so go to usebecause.com and um, you'll see a, a link there for courses and there's actually two free lessons so if you go to usebecause.com click on either of those lessons i should say either of those courses and lesson one for both of those is um it's a sample lesson so it's free so even if you don't want to spend the fiver right and take a look at the lesson see if it could be for you go there and do that all of our podcasts are there as well usebecause.com forward slash podcast and we also have a mini blog series that is called uh, reasons you might feel bad which is um, based on some stuff that i wrote a good few years ago have a read of that if it could be could be of interest to you so that is at usebecause.com forward slash blog and uh, follow us on twitter Uh, use because on twitter use because on instagram use because on facebook and uh, tell two people that you know all about usebecause.com. All right then, so until next time, uh, thanks very much for listening and uh, we'll talk to you very soon.